Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. This is Inside Bristol Live, a weekly podcast that takes you behind the headlines and inside your local newsroom. I'm Alex Wood, your host for this week's episode, taking you through some of the biggest stories and events that have happened in the city. This week, we've got some really exciting guests on the show. First up, we've got Robin Murray, our What's On writer here at Bristol Live. He's going to be talking to us about Lakota and its plans to possibly change from a nightclub into accommodation. And then next, we'll be hearing from Tristan Cork, one of the senior reporters here at Bristol Live. He's going to be popping into the studio to have a chat with us about a damning new report by Bristol University, which looks specifically at university attendance compared to different areas of the city. From Clifton down to Hartcliffe and seeing just how many people and students in those areas go on to study at university. Shaping up to be a great show this week, let's jump into our first conversation. Hello. Hi there. <laughs> Welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much. Um, you're here to talk to us today about Lakota. Yeah. Lakota Nightclub, which, uh, as your story this week suggested, um, its days may well be numbered as a nightclub. Um, something that has cropped up in previous years. Um, but uh, why don't you talk us through this most recent revelation and why maybe it's different to what we've heard in the past. Sure. So um, a lot of people will know that Lakota has in the past had a few threats to to um, imply that it might be closing. Um, mm. Looking back, I think there was one in 2008 and then again in 2011. Um, but because there was such an outcry, such a showing of support, um, the plans didn't come to fruition. Uh, this time around, the Burgess family who own the club have come forward and said that it's time for them to explore new opportunities, um, suggesting that it could become a multi-use kind of venue, mm. which could include retail space, sorry, not retail space, office space and accommodation. Um, so to me, obviously, I wasn't around doing this job when the first two plans were announced, but this one feels quite concrete. Mm. So yeah, and that is say, coming from them as opposed to yeah an application or, or uh, yeah, yeah external developers third party yeah. And it, what is it? I mean, the state because they released a statement, obviously, which is in in your story. It's quite a lengthy statement that they've put out. Um, and they're talking about reviewing sort of the the best options uh, for Stokes Craft for the neighbourhood that they say they've served for you know was it thirty odd years or something and early nineties yeah yeah, yeah. eighty nine uh, so, I think it was yeah. I mean, can you under, you can't really understate how much of you know a landmark venue Lakota is. Uh, I mean, obviously, as what's on writer, I suppose you get the joy of going to lots of different venues in the city. Yeah. Um, I mean, how does it compare to you know other venues, and what's its sort of reputation among people that do go out? Would you say? Well, I think there will be a lot of people reading the story and just going, "Oh no, a nightclub's closing." Mm. But I think it spells something a bit more um, pertinent than that something a bit more troubling um, because Bristol, one of the best things about it, in my opinion anyway, is 
the fact that it has, we've got such a brilliant nightlife here. There's so many different live music venues and clubs. Mm. Um, and of course, in recent years, we've seen threats to a few of the biggest, including Thecla, um, The Fleece. Um, and we've also seen Sorry Vaults and Beer Keller Close um, in pretty quick succession, really. Mm. Um, so for something like Lakota to close as well, which is obviously still regarded really highly um, in not just Bristol, but the rest of the UK. But I think it's the fact that in the 90s, it really was seen as one of the UK's most famous clubs one outside place. London. Yeah, You know, welcome the likes of LTJ Bookham, Carl Cox, Todd Terry. These are all like huge, huge names. names. Yeah. Um, so I think if we did lose it, um, it would be a huge shame, mm. um, not just for the city's nightlife scene, but for Bristol as a whole, really, because yeah, yeah. it does attract people from all over the area. Absolutely. I mean, how does it, because you mentioned some of the other venues that we've lost, you know, fairly recently, like Surrey Vaults and Beer Keller, and obviously Thecla uh, was sort of under threat earlier in the year. And uh, if memory serves you right, that was to do with like noise complaints. Yeah. Um, and it, it, are the reasons sort of different for each of those venues? So, I mean, Lakota hasn't mentioned anything about complaints. Mm being made or, or are you aware of any sort of common theme between these um yeah i guess this one is um slightly more unique in that sense because you know sorry vaults was down to noise complaints mm. um thecla kind of issued a preemptive strike i guess because they haven't received that many complaints from the houses nearby right but a housing development has been approved to be built on the sort of plot of land just opposite mm. so i think they kind of you know, release a statement saying we're in danger if this development gets approved, which mm. it did. And work was actually supposed to begin there, I think, in July, perhaps. Right. But it hasn't, you know, because developments always get... Yeah, back. yeah. So I guess the fact that this is nothing to do with noise complaints, it's due to the fact the Burgess family have clearly um, decided to look at other options. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's a bit unique. And I guess they will probably come under a, a fair bit of stick, the Burgess mm. family, but the fact they've they've run that club successfully for, for so long for 30 years and bearing in mind a lot of clubs across the uk suffered a bit of a um like dip in takings i think mm. uh after this sort of turn of the of the century mm. i'm not really sure why that was mm. um they've they steered it through that kind of problem they've brought it back up to what it is today which is like a brilliant club yeah loved by djs and clubbers everywhere so i think they deserve a lot of credit really absolutely i mean have they hinted uh, their statement didn't give much away but they, they hinted at sort of a mixed use development i mean is there any indication what they might think they're thinking about putting in or turning lakota into um well thanks to um a very helpful chap who called up two weeks ago mm-hmm. some kind of whistleblower um oh. i'm not allowed to reveal his name but he pointed me in the direction of a planning application right. which went in in fact it wasn't a planning application it was kind of like a the one before a planning application like a pre-app so, sort of yeah thing. yeah um <clears throat> and that basically specified they were looking at an environmental impact of, I think it's 56 flats. Oh, right. Okay. Um, so it could be accommodation. It could well be accommodation and office space. I think that's kind of what they're exploring. Um, and while there's no denying that we do need more housing mm. in Bristol, um, I still think it would uh, it would be, like I said before, a massive shame to lose such an iconic club. Mm. Um, especially as, you know, Blue Mountain just down the road is also yeah. um, rumoured to be closing. Really, right. Uh, there's, we're going to be looking into that more in depth in the coming weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I mean, if those two clubs close, um, then it's going to be massively... It's going to be a very different looking 
Stokescroft mm, when you think yeah, definitely, it, yeah. you know, how rapidly that area of the city seems to be changing. Yeah, for sure. I mean the landscape will be uh completely different to what it once was and what it's known as to many. Um but one thing the Burgess family have said is that the plans aren't kind of imminent. Right. So okay. we're gonna have Lakota for another few years at least, they think. Um which is sort of comforting. Yeah, yeah, that's like at least <laughs> yeah. one one small positive to, yeah, exactly. to take from it. It's, it's not, not like it's going to be wiped out <laughs> Stokescroft in the next few months, which is good. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it's, it's a case of something that they're just considering at this stage, keeping yeah. kind of an open mind. Yeah, nothing's set in stone yet. And as I mentioned earlier, you know, there was such a big outcry in 2011 mm. when these kind of plans were sort of touted. So... There's nothing to say that that won't happen again this year. Do you think they could be worried about that negative backlash? Because we know, obviously, going back those few years when Tesco famously wanted to uh, open a shop in Statescraft, it caused massive outcry, and that was, you know, that was quite extreme. But we've seen actually fairly recently with Hamilton House um, the plans to sort of change that. There's been marches, um, and as we know. Bristolians, um, if there's an issue that's close to their hearts, they will protest, they will, you know, shout about it. Is it slightly different that this is a nightclub in that it's maybe slightly more niche than, you know, a corporate store wanting to open or any other sort of development? Or do you think it might have possibly? I mean, there's bound to be quite a few unhappy people, and I'm sure Mm. this decision the Burgess family have taken wasn't one taken lightly, as they, they love the club and they've worked incredibly hard to kind of get it to where it is um but yeah i mean there's bound to be some kind of protest because even though it's not like a big corporation coming to take its place um it's still a famous nightclub being turned into flats which Mm. you know is going to ride a lot of people i guess absolutely um but i just hope that people show the burgess family respect absolutely because as i said you know it's, it's not a decision they've taken lightly um and without them, it wouldn't it wouldn't be where it is. It wouldn't even be what it is. Yeah, you know? exactly. And there are probably other factors, you know, contributing to their um, decision. Maybe mm. it's the fact that Stokescroft is changing, and they're aware of that. Yeah. Um, and you know, in five years' time, it's going to be a very different place. And maybe Lakota wouldn't work as well as it has done there. Mm. So I'm sure there are other factors which have made them make this decision. Yeah. That's that's definitely an interesting point because we were talking about developments, obviously, that are our in the works essentially and obviously carriage works um just up the road in stokescroft is one of those major developments that is you know actually being changed into accommodation in itself and there was again not to the extent that we've seen other developments opposed but there are factions of people who do object to the idea of big what they see is you know big corporate companies converting mm-hmm. sort of little community interest um venues yeah into what might well be high-end flats. Mm. Um, I mean, do you think, so it's Croft, you talked about, you know, it's a ch- it's changing. Um, do you think it's changing for the better at this rate? Oh, it's it's, 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 it's <laughs> putting you on the spot. But, yeah, it's, uh, it's, that's a tricky one. Um, I do worry about the, the direction it's heading in because I think, you know, there are there will be a lot of people, no doubt, who don't like Stokes Croft and think, you know, it's grubby and whatever. Mm. And we get a lot of commenters saying, you know, it needs to be developed. But yeah. I almost think that kind of embodies Bristol spirit in a way. It's kind mm. of independent and doesn't really play by the rules, as cringy as that sounds. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think I think cities need a bit of that. It's, great, it's quite raw, isn't it? It's, it's raw, it? yeah, it's different. And I think it does attract a lot of people to the city. Mm. So while I a minute ago I did say that I hope people respect the Burgess family and their decision, I also hope there is some kind of outcry because Bristol needs to keep its... 
Oh, oh no. Look how, look how far <laughs> we made it. Into- Rule number one, turn your phone off. I'm very sorry. It's okay. <laughs> um, probably not important. Well, actually, I can probably just interject. I've been rolling what I thought was blue tag in my hand for duration of this conversation and I suddenly got a minty scent coming from Ooh. it. It's chewing gum that someone <laughs> decided to leave on the table. Uh, I just put it back down because I realised that's need... the kind of thing you'd find in Stokes Cross. <laughs> Roll up all the chewing gum. Lovely. I don't mind. You know, it's absolutely fine. It's not mine. It's <laughs> <laughs> just a little interjection. That was Chris, by the way. The, the third party in the room who's yeah, uh, just recording. wandered past. Um, um no you were saying, that? yeah, the sort of it is Stokescroft, it's obviously undergoing these changes, these developments and is it changing for the better? Which is a is a difficult question. It is difficult. I mean, everything goes in cycles, I guess. And there will be a lot of people happy to see it become sort of cleansed. And a, <laughs> for want of a better word. For want of a better yeah. word, yeah. Um, and, you know, nice little coffee shops and, and the like are great. They're lovely. But we need places to go out. Um, nightlife plays an important part, not just in, you know, providing people with fun, but economy and... Mm-hmm. keeping people out of trouble all sorts really um, so and that's what it offers isn't it that's yeah what, I'm, I'm trying to I'm trying to sit on the fence here like I do yeah. most things in life <laughs> no no it's, it's but um, it's, you know it's it, is, it is a shame to see it lose its edge but you know maybe there will be positives from it mm-hmm. um, who knows I really hope that Hamilton House remains um, and again I hope Lakota can somehow be be saved so mm-hmm. um, I do think people need to get involved with Facebook groups like Save Bristol Nightlife mm. and uh, Cuts Funding because um, they are important groups uh, yeah. and they do a lot of good work for sort of culture and nightlife in Absolutely. Bristol. And they mobilise a lot of people as well, don't they? And there's sort of, you know, anything that's happening to save places and venues, those are the places where it's being discussed. Yeah, exactly, um, yeah. So, as well as our website, obviously. So. <laughs> that's the name to just. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, thank you. Thank no you for coming in and chatting to us. Thanks for having me. And that was Robin Murray joining us in the Inside Bristol Live podcast studio, talking to us about a subject uh, he's written about this week regarding Lakota nightclub, announcing its plans to possibly change use from a nightclub and transform itself into accommodation. Uh, All part of a wider topic that uh, Robin's been looking into regarding Stokes Croft and the changing face of the area and, of course, the question that looms over it regarding gentrification. So really great topic. Thank you to Robin for popping in. Up next, then, we've got something slightly different. Tristan Cork will be joining us here on the podcast to talk about Bristol University's damning new report into students from different areas of Bristol and just how many of those go on to university. Hello, um, I'm Tristan Cork. I'm a senior reporter at the Bristol Post slash Bristol Live. <laughs> it's important to get the slash in, isn't it? it? Is, it's, yeah. it's absolutely mandatory. Well, welcome to the podcast. Um, uh, you're here this week to talk to us about a groundbreaking report uh, that's been put out by Bristol University. Yeah. Um, groundbreaking is probably a word that gets banded around a lot, but in yeah. this sense, it is... Um, it is the findings quite truly shocking. Yeah, metaphorically groundbreaking. Yeah, <laughs> only only when you're talking about building sites can you yeah. actually use it properly. Um, yeah, so I mean, this is something that has been talked about in Bristol for probably decades, but mm. more increasingly in the last few years. Um, and it is the the question, uh, the sort of setup is why is there such a difference around the city in 
the numbers of children, teenagers, uh, who, when they uh, get, reach 18, go to university. Um, so, for instance, uh, South Bristol, as a parliamentary constituency, mm-hmm. has the lowest, I think for the second year running, or th- certainly three out of the last four years, it has been um, the lowest uh, in the country for 18-year-olds to go to university. Wow. So at anywhere else in the country has better university rates of children when they reach 18, mm-hmm. they leave uh, full-time education, do they go on to university? South Bristol, it's the lowest in the country. And when you consider that that South Bristol is part of a city with two large, really brilliant universities. Well-established unis, yeah. Yeah, that is... Because you'd think it would be somewhere in Cornwall where there's they've got to go miles to get to university. Or yeah. it's not, it, you know, it's not an accessibility issue, surely. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, there's... Yeah, so there's that. That's one statistic, mm-hmm. and the second that comes out of this report is actually it is sort of more pinpointed. More specific, yeah, yeah. So in um, in the Clifton ward of Bristol City Council's area, Clifton, hundred percent of students when they reach eighteen go to university. In Hartcliffe is eight point six percent, which is one in thirteen, I think one in twelve, one in thirteen. Um, so that's and that you know Hartcliffe and Clifton are yeah. four miles apart, five miles apart, and yet here, absolutely poles apart when yeah. it comes to university yeah. attendance. And so that's the kind of stark reality of this this study that they looked at, um, and they th- th- this is the uh, the University of Bristol researchers. Mm-hmm. Th- those statistics have been talked about before they've been you know they're just being framed in a different way here but the more important thing that the researchers have come out with um looking at this report is uh they've they've pinpointed that it's not so just to take a step back here or up until this point everyone's kind of talked about it in terms of individual schools or oh it's to do with deprivation it's to do with how poor these areas are it's to do with uh, lack of aspiration, yeah, parents, yeah. you know, um, the the fact that the, the kids in Hartcliffe, oh, you know, they don't want to go to university. Yeah. And, and um, you know, talking about it in those terms, but actually this report is has come up with a very specific reason, mm-hmm. um, which goes to the heart fundamentally of the way that the city's school system is set up. And this is something that that um, that parents have long complained about, um, and it's one of those things that's kind of evolved over time to be rubbish. But basically, um, what they've found is that the main they, they say that the um, the main barriers, one of the main barriers to eighteen-year-olds uh, in these areas. So we're talking the deprived parts of Bristol. So we're talking a lot of South Bristol. We're talking, uh, say, like Lawrence Weston and maybe Southmead and the places where the university take-up is low. One of the main barriers in these areas is that the schools that are in those areas do not offer A-level or B-tech qualifications. Um, And those, obviously, you need A-levels to Mm -hmm. get to uni. Absolutely, yeah. Um, In fact, uh, there's 11 schools in Bristol 11 secondary schools in Bristol where there isn't a post-16 
you can't stay on yeah. after 16. And of those 11 schools, 10 of them are in those deprived wards with low take-up of uni. So it's, it's been staring everyone in the face. It's right there on paper, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and actually what maybe this report will, the implications of it, um, should, you'd have hoped, go to the heart of way of, of the where um, and where education is planned in the city. Mm. Um, and one of the problems is that the city council doesn't really control education anymore. A lot of these schools are academies now. They've got more, it's on their terms. Essentially. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's, it's down to an academy whether or not they have a sixth form. Right. They, you know, and what's happening is, this, this is saying that a whole generation of, of students in those areas are being kind of, they're being shortchanged. They're not getting the same opportunities mm-hmm. as the as as a student in in Clifton or in the city centre or in Horfield or yeah. um, you know Eastern or somewhere where there is a school near them mm-hmm. that they can get to, which has got post sixteen, so they can go on to to A levels. Mm-hmm. So if if you're you know people in Hartcliffe or one of these wards where your school your nearest school doesn't offer that post sixteen. Uh, education which you need to go to university so what what options are they left with it are they literally having to then look at a school that's hopefully not too far for them that they might have to get to on the well um i mean if you're a parent in in that place in those places you've checked you face a choice at 11 when when your child's 11 um do you send do you try and get into the school that's four miles away in a nice area where it has got a sixth form and, you know, a lot of students do go to uni. Mm-hmm. And if you try, you, you might often, you fail. You know, mm-hmm. I'm sure they do try. The, the schools in those areas, in, in, your, in your local area that doesn't have post-16 facilities, they, um, you get to 16 and your child then faces mm-hmm. having to get into sixth form across the other side of town or go to the local technical college or whatever it is that does vocational stuff yeah um or go or leave and get an apprenticeship thing mm-hmm. going on at, uh, you know that you can get when you're 16 so the options narrow considerably when your school when your local school hasn't got uh, the provision that to do a levels yeah and yeah you're faced with a, it's no wonder you know this is like eureka moment for hopefully for the education planners in bristol this is mm-hmm. it's no wonder provision for you know you know the numbers of kids going to uni is so low when they literally can't get the key to the door to get in there absolutely am i not right in thinking though uh not that long ago the government said all pupils must stay in edu- some form of education to exactly. be educated so essentially if the pupil leaves or completes their gcse's at year 11 they're 16 are they then still required then to be in some form of education? Yeah, and education or training. Right, I see. and so, that's where they could go to a, yeah, a vocation. Yeah, yeah, So they need to do something mm-hmm. um, that's officially accredited or, you know, so if you're, if, if you get you get a job in your local, um, I don't know, garage or something, you need to be training to be a mechanic. An apprenticeship. Um, it needs to be an official thing. Or you you go on to a college and do, mm-hmm. you know, MVQs, BTECs, whatever. Um, or you go to sixth form and do A-levels. But yeah, so you have to be in, in full-time education until 18 or mm-hmm. educational training. Um, but what that, they've said that, mm-hmm. but what's happened is that the um, the post-16 provision in these deprived areas of Bristol hasn't caught up. It just hasn't, yeah. And, and, you know, and whether that's a systemic thing, how that can change, mm-hmm. who knows? I mean, what... Y- 
what you really need, I guess, is to kind of start again yeah <laughs> scrap that <laughs> scrap that scrap or how it is at the moment and start again or or kind of because what's when you take away the power of of planning centrally the education in bristol um it, it really does mean that kind of everyone does their own thing and it's not kind of coordinated and that this is what the this is how you end up yeah. this is what you end up with mm-hmm. and does the report does it offer any potential solutions i mean because if, if you're listening to this it would sound almost as you say scrap the system we have in place mm. which is obviously no mean feat but in theory have schools that do offer the sixth form provision in addition to the vocational options and everything else in the wards that don't currently have them yeah. um is it as simple as that or i mean does the report go into you know sort of potential solutions yeah it does i mean it it, it kind of basically says um that uh that the, the, there needs to be an establishment of an education partnership board, right? Um, which is, I guess, reinventing the wheel in terms of creating the old education department at the, at mm. the city council. Um, but the educational partnership board, which will have representatives from schools and academy trusts and post-16 colleges and FE colleges and university and the council. So basically, it's kind of bringing everyone back in. Everyone in, yeah. Um, to do that. And also that... Um, that every school takes responsibility for increasing the proportion of their students from the gap wards. And then that, and when they say gap wards, they mean places in Bristol which don't have post-16. Right. So that if you're St Mary Redcliffe Sixth Form College in, in Redcliffe, mm-hmm. you, for a lot of students in south, south of the river, that is the nearest Sixth Form centre for them. Mm-hmm. And actually it's quite hard to get to if you're in you know, in your, you're in Knoll West yeah. or, or in Bedminster or something, you know, it's not Ashton Gate or wherever, um, you know, you've got, a, it's, a, it's a distance to travel, but you need, what they're basically saying is that those colleges that are in the sort of nice areas, they have to try to bring in more, you know, make sure that they are looking out for the kids from those quote gap wards as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, there's a range of different measures which are kind of, um, you know, it, clearly this is going to, it looks from the recommendations, it looks like it's going to take a while mm-hmm. um, for this to be sorted out. But, you know, who knows? It what One of the most interesting things about it is that this has kind of come from one of the things that we were talking about in the year of change. Mm. So I did, I was on the podcast, gosh, it must have been, um, I'd imagine it was probably back in about May. Mm-hmm. Um, and, they were. This was one of the things we were talking about in the year of changed conversa- city conversations we were having with the old Vic, us and um, universities mm-hmm. and the BBC, and uh, we were talking about kind of it kind of morphed into, you know, how why is it that there are places in in Bristol with so so few, um, edu- you know, university take up rates are so low, and um, and this is really interesting now that the universities sort of the University of Bristol has kind of grabbed this by the horns and said, actually, you know, this is why, mm-hmm. um, this is, this, this is, is what, this is what needs to be done. Mm-hmm. I mean, how many years would it take to reverse something yeah. like this? I mean, it's, it's so monumental and this is just Bristol. I yeah. take it, I take it this, well, they haven't done research for anywhere else other than Bristol, but I suspect this is yeah. a similar tale think, in I, most cities. I don't know though. I don't know. Or, or do you think I, it's unique? I think it's, it, uh, difficult to say, um, <laughs> but uh, I'd imagine Bristol. Well, we know Bristol is the worst yeah. 
So it's, it's always going to be more exacerbated here. Yeah. And also what happens is, what tends to happen is that it kind of, it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy as well. Mm. So you've got a problem where kids don't go to uni, don't don't want to, don't do A-levels or don't kind of have a, at the, because they can't. And then they don't have the aspiration to go to uni. So they come in along at 11 and no one's talking about going to uni because they haven't got a sick form to do A-levels anyway. Mm-hmm. And then like a generation later they're having children with and they're like oh you don't want to go to uni you know it costs mm. a fortune and it, it kind of builds in its own lack of aspiration thing yeah. and it's 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 one of the interesting things is that until now things a lot of the stuff that the university itself has done university of bristol has focused on getting individual students and they're really good at they're getting really good at this they haven't been in the past but they're um they've created loads of kind of bursary schemes and 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 things where you can get grants and stuff and uh, actually interestingly i've got personal experience of this because mm-hmm. i live in south bristol mm-hmm. one of uh, my daughter my youngest daughter is uh, now she got uh she signed up to a thing because you know i never went to uni my wife never went to uni and um uh so she was the first in our family essentially to go to uni mm-hmm. um and she uh, because we lived in south we live in south bristol she got a like a, a thing she got onto some program when she was at school mm-hmm. doing her a levels and then she was kind of like you know you she ticked boxes or whatever yes it is. yeah yeah and um and she got to go to uh she went on a, like a week away to durham university just to see what university was like and stuff i see okay and um she did that and she got on some and they were really pushing it Push, to kind yeah, of yeah. you know to th- those things that focus on individual students mm. they do work but actually they they'll only work for for individ, you know individuals 0.1 yeah, percent yeah yeah and she, so yeah she's now just started her second year which is great <laughs> she's still hanging in there but um the, the the key thing is with this is that uh they're looking mu- mu- they're taking a much bigger step back and saying hold on a sec you know it's not just about the individuals mm. there's a whole system going wrong here it's at fault yeah yeah well we we could dissect this issue i suspect uh you know to to far more detail than we have but uh we would probably take much longer time (laughs) than uh than we're probably allowed for the podcast but is there anything else uh that you wanted or is the report touches on that we've not talked about or is there any other aspect of it that um you think's worth worth Um, yeah i mean it's interesting that obviously the university of bristol have kind of turned turn this around and um are actually looking at this in depth and i'm just looking at this mm. they've got both ue and the university of bristol got outreach programs um and called bristol scholars and they provide up to 10 guaranteed tailor o- tailored offers for high potential year 13 students from schools in the city and, and this is what we're, we're talking mm. about that, that's how it works in terms of individuals mm. But if they if if a child at year thirteen age isn't actually doing A levels, then they're not going to be not on that. Even adequate, you yeah. know, able to get on that, it's all skewed. Yeah. It does seem very skewed. It does. Um, but thank you for for giving us an insight into it. Obviously, we this is just what you know. We've just touched the surface really with mm. with this topic. Your story goes into it in far more detail, I'm sure. And I, I would definitely urge anyone who is listening. Obviously, head over to the website, um, follow yourself on 
on Twitter. You yeah. remind us your your handle at Tristan Cork Post. Fairly couldn't change it live. <laughs> <laughs> it's too late. Um, but it should be you know Tristan Cork. Yeah, Tristan Cork Post. Um, and you'll find yourself and obviously I'm sure we'll be able yeah. to find this particular article, which is definitely worth definitely worth a read. Thank you very much. Cool. Thank you. And that was Tristan Cork joining us in the studio on the Inside Bristol Live podcast. Really fascinating conversation there uh, from him regarding Bristol University's report into the students and the number of them from different areas of Bristol that are going on to study at university. So thank you to him. But that is it from us for this week on Inside Bristol Live, your weekly podcast taking you behind the headlines and inside your local newsroom. You've been listening to me, Alex Wood, as your host on this week's episode. Of course, if you've liked what you've heard, don't forget to rate, review and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or wherever it is you get your podcasts from. Also, remember, if you want to join in on the conversation or share your thoughts on anything that's been discussed in today's episode, feel free to get in touch with us on Twitter. You can find us at IBL Podcast, or you can find me personally at Mr. Alex Wood. But that's it from us for another week on Inside Bristol Live. Join us same time, same place next week. Thank you.